0: In Paris, New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter.
1: And I'm Joanna Sharino.
0: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. So, what are you guys drinking? It's, it's like the month that everyone seems to drink. So, I'm curious what really? you're drinking. <laughs> well, this is like the sort of the right. This is-
1: we always drink every month. All the time,
0: and, and you know what? The funny thing is, I didn't. I didn't drink. I haven't drank this month. I had a dry week and a half recently, so I've forgot nothing to share. With Except
1: for recently, well, we yeah, drank the, a lot of stuff.
0: Cognac. Okay, fine. Well, talk, oh, that's gonna be my thing. Okay, but, that's anyways, your thing. but it is funny. Like this is the month that everyone talks. About. It's like the Super Bowl for the alcohol industry. Like yes. it's time to go, and I'm like taking it easy. That's I'm getting ready for now. wet January. What?
1: Wet and wild January for Adam. Okay.
0: <laughs> Dry December, wet January.
1: <laughs> um, we opened a bottle of wine that I think I got from the office when I first started here of Landmark, uh, Landmark Vineyards 2018 Overlook Pinot Noir. Okay. And that was very good this weekend. I think Keith is a big fan of Landmark Vineyards. He's chatted about them before. He has. That was good, but that's nice. kind of the extent that of my it. drinking recently. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Well, you Zach, you chumps, whatever. I've been drinking. <laughs> uh, I've been we drinking. Had, <laughs> well, if we had a, opened a couple of nice bottles of wine for Caitlin's birthday, uh, right? I a, saw that. Yeah, some friends over for her birthday. We had a, a magnum of Laurent Perrier '08 champagne. A
1: magnum
2: a magnum i Whoa. know i know <laughs> friday but you know i knew we were going to drink a lot of uh sparkling wine and as i said on that episode that's one of the few uh kind of categories where i do think it fits well Um uh, drank a bottle of uh barolo from baroli which was weird because caitlin also really wanted chicken wings which is not really a great pairing for barolo but uh chicken wings?
1: My,
2: <laughs> yeah my cousin brought the Barolo, and we were like, Well, we'll drink it, sure. Um, uh, but yeah, she's been having it, she had a chicken wing craving, so that's what we got for her birthday. Uh, what can I say? It's my wife, nice, nice, yeah. And then, uh, been you know, kind of dabbling with some winter cocktails, I've been trying it, so I did one of these things, right? Like, you know, when you're you know building out your home bar over year over the years you, you sometimes see a bottle and you're like I should buy this because like it's a thing and I this was me with Pims, which like I don't even really like sure. Pims cup that much which is literally the only drink that I know that uses Pims. um and Same. but I was yeah but I was like well Caitlin the other day asked me for she's like I want like she's like normally she likes kind of like her whiskey cocktails that are like kind of bitter and really spirit forward and like you know pretty intense and she's like I want like you know so I want like a boozier cocktail but she's like but i want it to be like you know warm like a holiday cookie and so i was like okay well what the hell do we have that i can do this <laughs> with and so that's where i went back to like the bottle of Pims and you know that and a little bit of uh a little bit of rye whiskey and uh just a touch of uh i guess a little bit of amaro as well just kind of rounded out you know splat just a tiny bit of uh lemon juice just to kind of brighten the thing it was pretty good you know it's pleasantly surprised so you know maybe in the next five years i'll get through that bottle of pims. <laughs> nice <laughs> nice i feel like uh, i don't Joanna. even
1: actually know what pims uh tastes like on its own uh, yeah
2: I, I, you know I, I have the bottle and i even i would be have be hard-pressed to kind of define it but it's kind of like it's like a little bitter a little vegetal but it's like not nearly as intense in those ways as like most of the other things we put in that category it's like fine enough with like some soda water it's like you can make a little like thing that way, but it just, I don't know. It mostly just sits there on my shelf and taunts yeah.
1: <laughs> I definitely have a bottle in I the back of my no. cabinet.
2: I don't. All right, Adam, tell me about your cognac.
1: Yes, tell us what you've been drinking. Uh, so
0: I judged the Remy Martin uh, Cognac Sidecar Cocktail Competition uh, this, this week, this past mm-hmm. week, uh, which was awesome. They had bartenders fly in from all, uh, six different regions. Uh, So they won their region and then they competed in the nationals and now they're going to go to the international competition in France. Um, And so – The winner will. Yeah, the winner will. And uh, the entire sort of challenge is you had to take a sidecar and basically do a riff on a sidecar inspired by three different sort of eras. And the eras you could do were either uh, sort of like the Gilded Age – you could do disco, okay, or you could do what would be considered modern. Um, and the the sidecars were really interesting, all of them. But my favorite was the one that won um, by uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> um, it was a stirred sidecar, which I'd never had, and it was a sort. It was Gilded Age inspired. So basically, the bartender Marco, who won, he's from Miami, um, was basically he only used ingredients you would have been able to find in the nineteen twenties. Okay. And he clever, yes, it was very clever, and then he stirred the cocktail uh because you know while there were there was a lot of shaking cocktails as well in the twenties, um but he sort of was alluding to this idea that that a lot of the cocktails that we're that we really love now that are stirred cocktails sort of came out of the twenties, mm. uh and so he stirred this sidecar, he made you know an oleo sacrum uh to sort of sweeten but also bring the acidity to the drink he added uh rum that had been aged in cognac casks to also bring in the 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 cognac he obviously used uh remy 1738 uh it was just a really delicious drink and um the one that sort of the judging panel it was myself joaquin simo who's a very celebrated bartender used to own the the bar pouring ribbons that he closed recently um and then uh the head of like Remy Trade Representation, mm-hmm. uh, we were the, the three judges. All of a sudden, like it was like the one cocktail where, like, I would order it multiple times. Mm. And I think what was also interesting about it was it was deceivingly easy to drink okay. for how boozy it was. Right, it was spirit forward, but actually much easier to drink than lots of the other cocktails.
1: Was it served up?
0: Yes, up, mm. not over ice, mm. just up. Um, it was really, really delicious, nice. and that's all I drank this week. So, a lot, of cognac. <laughs> a lot of cognac, a lot of cognac. Yeah, then I went to the after party.
1: Had more cognac. Had, more
0: cognac. had more cognac. <laughs> also had something which I'd never heard of before, which I'm curious about. So, we went to this bar called Night Moves, mm-hmm. which is owned by James Murphy from LCD Sound System and Remy. Uh, and us is sort of taking it over as the after party with a bunch of bartenders. And the the bartender at Night Moves had created a orange chartreuse. Had you ever heard of this? No. Zach? So apparently, so he said in the 70s, in the 70s or the 80s, I can't remember now, for like four or five years, chartreuse made an orange version hmm. as a way to try to get chartreuse to become more popular on the American market. Huh. And he has tried it once or twice. He's found old bottles and tried it. And so he's basically reverse engineered it. So he like he takes orange juice and clarifies it and then melds it with regular chart like green, green chartreuse. chartreuse. Or maybe yeah, he uses green chartreuse. And then it kind of brings out this like very orange flavor to the chartreuse. It was super interesting. It was really delicious. Huh. Huh. Yeah. That sounds really no, cool. I've
2: never heard of that.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I thought it was wild. Uh, and so that was really interesting. So he, ma- he made a cocktail of um, orange chartreuse and cognac that was really tasty Ooh. at the after party. Pretty dope. Nice. Pretty dope. Uh, so obviously, we have a lot to talk about uh, this Monday, and a lot to talk about, meaning the, the, the final, it was coming for a long time, <laughs> but the final death of Wink. Uh, Wink has been – it was a wine club that's been around since 2012. They've raised over $50 million. They ipo would a few years ago. And almost immediately upon IPOing, the stock started to tank.
1: A year ago. Yeah, almost right. – only,
0: only a year ago, right? They, they've they raised so many rounds. So they they started a pre-seed round in 2011, an angel round in 2012, another a seed round in 2012, a venture round, they called it, in 2013 – a Series A in 2014, a Series B in 2016, a debt financing round in 2017, a Series C in 2019, a Series D in 2019, then an equity crowdfunding round in 2020, and they finally ipo raising about $22 million in the IPO in 2021. And then the stock basically crashed. And when they finally filed for bankruptcy, the stock was sitting at around $0.20 cents a share. Uh, cratered even more. It went up a little bit recently on news that it might get bought uh, out of, you know, out of bankruptcy. But like the stock now is sitting as we're recording is at 21 cents a share. Uh, really, really, really. I mean, you know, the market cap for the company uh, right now is less than like 10, is $2.7 million. That's the value e. of the total company. Um, you know, there's a lot of just very wealthy people could easily buy that, like without even blinking. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: when they when they went public, they were valuing themselves at like 172 million dollars, something like that. So like this is a huge crash, um, but it's not unexpected. I think that's what's so interesting about this is this isn't shocking to anyone. This is another one of these businesses. That was able to raise a lot of money on buzz, on the fact that the founders told a really good story. We were able to convince a lot of people outside of the alcohol industry that this was a really smart business, Mm -hmm. but that a lot of the people in the alcohol industry were very skeptical of and, you know, there are a lot of other businesses still like Wink that look successful today that are basically carbon copies of what Wink is that still exist in the market that I think will also ultimately go under. But have convinced their own group of investors that this will be probably. I mean, and when you think about who Wink raised from, they, wa- they raised from very prominent investors in California. They were one of these like early days DTC darlings that were raising from the similar investors as Warby Parker did Mm -hmm. and Casper. And this was like the wine version of that. Um, But from very early on, it became obvious that the way that they were growing and scaling was via, you know, discounts, right? They were, they were paying very high bounties to Facebook, et cetera, to, gain users. The churn was insane in terms mm-hmm. of the amount of users that were dropping out after buying their first or second pack. The reorder rate wasn't that high. Uh, and so then you you saw Wink starting to pivot towards the end to try to create brands that they would ultimately sell on premise. But this was like kind of, it seems like the la- that last,
1: last, ditch. last
0: ditch, right? Yeah. Same as what House ultimately was trying to do, right? Like it was like, oh shit, this actually isn't working online, you know, the cost for you per acquisition of a user is way too high. We gotta go into the traditional model. Like maybe there's something everyone knew about this that we didn't know. And maybe you can't hack and break the three tier system. Mm-hmm. And you see Wink trying to do that as well, but like that's not that's not a venture fundable business, right? That's that's what Gallo and Constellation and, you know, that's what Jackson and they do all the time is treasury create brands Mm -hmm. and bring them into traditional retail and scale them. Like Wink doesn't know how to do that. And so the brands never really took off and we are where we are. Um, I'm curious, like what both of your reactions were when you saw this, were either of you ever, did either of you ever try Wink? Like, what did you think? And, you know, where do you think this, what do you think this says about where we are in the world of Sort of direct-to-consumer wine specifically.
1: I never tried Wink, but I understand the appeal, and then I understand why it was so successful and to for the people who it was successful with. Okay. When I worked before, um, like, doing e-commerce, um, Wink was extremely popular.
0: Like when you were at Food52?
1: No, no. When I was at Forbes for a hot minute, uh-huh. working, like, and um, contributing to their, like, affiliate revenue. Uh-huh. A brand like Wink gave really good uh, commission rates, and when you have a company like Forbes like recommending a product like Wink um, and that kind of membership, it just had it had this mass appeal, and I think that's what you're saying.
0: So it would convert really well. For yeah, Forbes. yeah, it would
1: co- yeah. Exactly, and and I think it's because it wasn't targeting people in the industry, right? Like this wasn't a wine club membership for wine people. Yeah. This is a wine club membership for people who didn't really know anything about wine who drank who drink wine, right? Right. Um, but just want to make that process kind of easy for them or uh-huh. the the way to get wine kind of simplified. And I think that's why it was so appealing.
2: I think that one of the other issues that Wink and similar companies have faced and will face is that exact thing that you described in a way, Joanna. So Adam, you mentioned the the cost of acquisition and retention for subscribers for wink and that being a big driver of their sort of lack of long-term profitability. But I think part of it is also just structurally if your main argument is the entire rest of the wine industry sucks and they're cheating you and you can get better wine for less and, you know, blah blah blah. And and there are other facets of the wine industry and other sort of niche markets that have attempted to take the same general tact and come out with slightly different products on the other end. The the problem with that is like it eventually comes into conflict with actual reality because that isn't true. And if you're the person who, you know, becomes a subscriber to Wink, you like it. Are you going to be completely cut off from the rest of the world of wine forever? Probably not, right? You're going to go out to eat and drink, and you're going to probably order wine, whether by the glass or the bottle. And you might try those wines, or you might have a friend over or go to a friend's house or something. And this whole kind of closed ecosystem that Wink was trying to create where, like, people need never get wine anywhere else, is a great idea if in practice, in, you know, in sort of in practice, if you can execute it, but it, it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny because what happens? Even if this person likes their wine from Wink, but you know what, they they drank the last bottle, the next shipment isn't due, and and f- for five days, and they're at the grocery store, and they're going to look at you know grocery store brands that are right, similarly and they can't get
1: those at- wines.
2: Yeah, yeah, and like you just can't really keep the veneer going that the wines are anything special, and once you get past that sort of veneer. Then what are you left with? You're left with extremely generic wine that's not that inexpensive, that's in many cases priced higher than comparable wines at the grocery store, and like you're left with that and the, I guess, ease of delivery. But again, whereas I think people initially looked at something like Wink and said, oh, here's a company that's going to thrive in the pandemic, and maybe early on they did because they were sort of already DTC conversant, everyone has had to get that way, and it doesn't really set you apart anymore to say we'll ship wine to your door like everyone can do that the last thing i will say is then you also have engendered a bunch of ill will throughout the rest of the industry by either (laughs) aggressively or in some cases passively you know showing how little how much disdain you have for that industry and the industry remembers you know one of the many reasons that wink's quote unquote brands got no traction when they tried to pivot to selling them into distribution is like people have long memories and they know the things that they can you know they remember the they remember the press clippings they remember the comments and they and they're not the brands are not strong enough to survive without a lot of backing from some sort of broader distribution network and those distribution networks frankly don 't need to bail wink out and they 're not yeah i think the I think
0: what this basically proves is all of these like Very cheap bulk wine, wine clubs, like all of it is just window dressing, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's a really beautiful package, you know, like you look when it comes to your house, it has the exact same, you know, what we say premium mediocre branding on the outside of the package is like. The pans you're buying and the clothes you might be buying and the shoe, the all birds and all that stuff. It fits really well into that world. But the liquid inside is not good. It's very cheap bulk wine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. With fake brands that are meant to actually confuse you even more because they don't want you to be able to search for these wines. Mm -hmm. I think that was what always turned me off about. The brands like wink from the beginning was that this was always purposeful. This is how they make money, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're not going you if you run the very opaque. Yeah. If you run the numbers, it is very hard to to hit the pricing for these six bottle packs they were selling. Right. Give the discounts they were giving with actual wine made by producers, you know, it's almost impossible you, you take a massive loss. It goes through the three-tier system. Like the way that Wing figured this out, figured this out mm-hmm. in air quotes, was creating a winery license in California, which is the most liberal license in the country, then selling direct to consumer through a winery, right? So basically creating a wine club, just like we've talked about before, that Chateau Montalena has, and you know, Leap has, and always they're very well known wineries, but then using bulk juice to create these fake brands that were garbage. And you know, that's why they had such huge churn. Cause I think even, even a normal consumer who's not a wine obsessive kind of knows that these wines kind of suck. Mm. Like they're just not that great, but yeah, they're, they're serviceable for, you know, When they're on discount, when you get that initial sign-up bonus, but then once Wing starts asking you to pay like the the price you actually need to pay for them to be profitable and sign up for their subscription model, you're kind of like, I don't know don't want to drink these wines. Right. Like all the time. Like also the wines change because that's also how they make money. So it's not like you can get, you know, at least at least with a normal under $10 bottle of wine, which is at the end of the day what Wink is selling you. They're just making you feel like it's a $20. Like Wink is using packaging and branding to make you think that the $5 bottle they're selling you is worth $15 or $16. <laughs> that's, the, that's the business. Yeah. At least with the $5 bottle, it's the fucking same every time. If mm-hmm. you like one of those $5 brands, It is the same every time. That is what the big wineries that make those wines are good at doing. They're good at consistency. Yeah. And there was no consistency with Wink or any of these other wine clubs. I mean, if anyone is trying to sell you wine for the price that Wink was, and I don't want to like name names here. So I'm not going to name any of them, but you know who they are. They're all the wine clubs that are in your Instagram feeds on social doing this, you know, that are being written about glowingly by mm-hmm.
1: recommended yeah. by,
0: by media companies and saying, we might take a affiliate fee for this transaction. Th- that's why they wrote about it guys. Like let's be, let's be smart here. Like mm-hmm. if, if they're looking to get affiliate revenue, they're writing about a They're writing about it because they're going to get a good bounty on your click and purchase. They're not running on it because they actually think it's a good fucking wine. It's a good deal for the media company. So if they're doing that, with any of these, you can bet it is the same model as Wink because a lot of people saw what Wink was doing and were like, oh, this is really smart. I mean, when they were doing it, everyone was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. I remember in 2015 and 2016, people thinking that Wink was one of the smartest wine companies out there.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I was going to say. 2011, nobody else was doing this when they launched it. And I think it had its gimmick. You took a quiz. Like that part of it was very, very appealing to people. And I think, you know, 10 years later, uh, it just, it doesn't hold up. And and yes, them trying to transition, I think it just, it was a little too late. Um, And yeah, I was going to say, uh also, Wink was so popular because it's great for gifting, right? It's one of those things where you can gift a three, whatever, three-month membership. And, and you mentioned this earlier, Adam, um, nobody's coming back. Yeah. Right? After no. that. That's a one-time purchase, which seems great, um, especially during a very busy season. But after that, you're not having repeat customers.
0: No. I mean, I think that's why it almost feels like... When we heard they were trying to create brands, that's when Josh and I were like, huh, if they're going to do anything, this is actually probably the smart play. I just feel like they did it way too late. Too late, yep. Like they should have just been pushing like the same brand over and over and over in the pack and then put it into Target, Yeah. put it into Publix, right? The problem is then that's not a wine club, right? Right. Because then you're not getting the variety that people want from a wine club. And so- they kind of like just walk away from it. The thing is that like a lot of these other wine clubs are doing the same thing. It just, you know, it's not, I think the brilliant, the most brilliant wine club that's doing the same thing is this one company who will remain nameless, that's white labeling their wine club under lots of different companies' names. Mm
2: -hmm. So like
0: X Publications Wine Club, there's a few of them. Whether, Whether that is a wine club that is Natural wine, or whether that's a wine club that is—you
1: mean there's a company behind it? There's a
0: company behind it
1: that's creating clubs for different places. Yes. Got it, got it.
0: And it's all bulk. Mm-hmm. It's all bulk wine. You guys, I—I'm sorry to tell you, you can buy bulk natural wine.
1: Yeah. You can,
0: <laughs> you can, you can buy. We talked are, about this. Yes, there, there, and you can, you can buy it. At wine fairs across the across Europe, where they are happy to sell you their wine because almost every winery has a little bit too much, mm-hmm. and they are happy to ship it here and let you put it under a label and and put it under a label that is not searchable by on wine searcher, so you can't figure out how much this wine should actually cost. So they can tell you that this is the equivalent of a twenty dollar bottle of wine when they know damn well it's equivalent of a five dollar bottle of wine, and. It's almost impossible to figure out for a consumer.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what's
0: happening. That's what all these things yeah. are. And, and that's why I don't like any of them.
2: Right. Well, and I think you come back to the fundamental suspicion that something like Wink raises in consumers over time, which is like, if this stuff's so great, why can't I just go buy it at the store? Right? Like, yeah. in the end, if you're, if you're sort of out here trying to, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into like a, a broader societal piece of commentary, but there is an element of like – This idea of like, oh, we're bringing you behind the curtain, you know, we're, we're, you know, the, the, like I said, when I, in my previous comments, like, you know, the, the rest of the wine industry is, is lying you to you, they're taking advantage of you and we're going to make you, you know, we're going to bring you in into the fold in some sense. And there's just that element of like. You can perpetuate that myth for a while, but eventually people are going to start asking questions. And, like, whether it's like, well, why is it that this bottle of wine that's showing up at my door? Yeah, when I go on Wine Searcher, absolutely nothing comes back. Or, like, it doesn't have a, there's no winery name on it. Like, why don't I, why don't I know anything about this wine? You know, in some cases, maybe it has, you know, the name of a variety on it, but like, it comes from, uh, you know, it comes from Italy or it comes from California. It doesn't come from like a smaller place that I might recognize. And, Again, there are great wines that any one of those sort of descriptors could be applied to or perfectly fine wines. But at some point when you are, you know, sort of just selling people on this mix of convenience, I guess, and a sort of like, we're not like those other wine companies. Yes, we just kind of send wine to your door, but like, but we're doing it for good reasons. I just think it's like, yeah, people just eventually tire of it. And yeah, Know and, and the market has gotten more saturated, and I think the wine consuming public I mean, again, I think premiumization has maybe taken a bite out of some of this too, right? Like, people some people have decided that they don't want to drink these wines as the wines that they have at their house regularly, they might want slightly nicer wines, and how they get those is a whole other conversation. But I think that it is true that like some of the smoke and mirrors that made Wink and other companies like it successful and, and appealing are not completely ineffective, but maybe have reduced effectiveness to the point where these businesses just can't survive because they inevitably are, you know, functioning on thin margins and a lot of long-term prospects that eventually, you know, investors are like, well, okay, great, but where's my money?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We should say also that these types of wine clubs are different from like Psalm curated wine wine clubs oh. or like a retailer doing a monthly drop or something like that where you can Obviously, you know that you're the bottles that you're getting, you can find in other places, and you know something about them. No, these
0: are the wine clubs we were talking about that are garbage, are the wine clubs where there is, you know, you got a discount code with. Your purchase on Office Depot, or (laughs) does Office Depot even exist anymore? I don't even know. (laughs) Staples, (laughs) or you, you know, you saw it on your Instagram ads, and there was like, you know, if you refer a friend, you get 10 dollars. Like these are the ones we're talking about. And then when you get the wines, you've never heard of them. Yeah, and that's most of these, or. Four of the bottles you haven't heard of, and two you have. That's also a trick a lot of these wine clubs use, uh-huh. where it's like they'll put one or two in, so then you just assume, oh, well, then I must know the other ones too. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, maybe they're not coming up on wine searcher for some reason, or maybe they are like super obscure, like the wine club said. But that's not true. It's that those they made up, and they put through the TTB, and they're the ones that have them, and then they're selling them to you. I mean, there's so many tricks that they can use. You know, that, those are the wine clubs we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, the the Verve or Flatiron, you yeah, know, exactly. wine club. that Parcell, You know, yeah. and look, to be honest, those are incredible, you know, companies with great wines. But like those are very thin margins and it's a very hard business and it's not one that I would want to be in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that, that's a very hard thing to be in unless, as we talked about before with House, you go very high end. Right, so that is really a concierge business where they are, cure, you know, they are cultivating a very high end list of, cli- you know, clientele list that is willing to, you know, spend a lot of money when, bur- when they're dropping bottles of Burgundy and Barolo and Bordeaux and Napa Cab and stuff like that. That's that business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other good business that's wine clubs is the wine club through a winery where you have a relationship with the winery, exactly, and yeah. there again, that is a business that is only lucrative when you are selling the seller select bottles and the bottles that you only sell via the club that are expensive, that your loyal consumer is willing to spend on because they want to have a case of your wine every year.
1: But what you're saying is the exact reason why these wine clubs clubs exist. Yes. Right. Because otherwise it's really exclusive. It's expensive. Yeah. So it it filled a need.
0: It did. But like, I guess what I'm in a shitty way. There's, but it's a need that exists that can't be filled. Okay, you know what? Like, sorry, (laughs) like it's just true. You know, like there, there to fill that need, you are going to have to do something sketchy. It's like, yeah, that's great. Like everyone wants to have these this kind of fashion that looks like high end shit made in Italy, but you're gonna have to accept that it was made in sweatshops, right? Like, I don't want that. That just is what it is. Like, you want to have fast fashion. You want to, you know, go to H&M and Zara and shit like that, you're going to have to accept that the people who made those clothes were not treated well. Right. And if you're okay with that, then fine. If you're okay with the fact that like these this is not very good wine and it was not made with sustainable practices at all and it was, you know, probably the workers who harvested the grapes were treated like shit and it was sprayed with tons of chemicals, but you feel like you got a deal, cool. Mm-hmm. But that is what these wines are and that's that's what they're that that's sort of like where I feel like we don't have to solve everything, yeah. you know, like maybe we can just try to be more approachable as wine shops, wine professionals, et cetera, and bring more people into wine than saying, oh, I have a hack for it. We're going to create a quiz. Right. And then via that quiz, we're going to, you know, give you a discount on a six pack. And we hope that then you'll sign up to our, you know, monthly recurring shipment mm-hmm. F off. <laughs>
1: Anyways. That's that. That's that.
0: You know what? R.I.P. <laughs> Wink, no one's gonna miss you. <clears throat> y'all 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 know how I feel about Wink now. And uh <laughs> you know, if anyone else has any thoughts, hit us up at podcast at Vinepair.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And uh I'll talk to you guys on Friday. I got a really exciting surprise.
1: Okay, have a good week.
0: <laughs> I can't wait. Thanks so much for listening to the Vinepair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vinepair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however, you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So.